Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Welcome here. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for checking it out. Gosh, this is going to be a good one. Another great conversation all about print to share with you today from a group of incredible creatives that I've actually had on the show, um, I think, three previous times. So this is the third or fourth time that um, we've had members from this team on this show here to talk about the incredible packaging and print that they are putting together. Packaging print they're putting together. It's like a tongue twister or rhyme, something. Anyways, before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to tell you that if you are a graphic designer, creative, an illustrator, whatever that is, and you want to learn how to create print packaging and learn the things that you need to know before you venture into that world. And believe me, it's an incredible world. But there's just some things you got to learn in order to fully execute it, be able to talk the talk, and be able to very easily and quickly put together beautiful print and packaging. I say quick, it's all relative to you know what that is to you. And of course, it's if, if it's a business card or if it's a campaign that you need a bunch of approval, you know what I'm saying. But if you want to learn that world of print, head over to printdesignacademy.com or just click the link down in the description of this podcast, which will take you to Print Design Mastery. That is where we are teaching graphic designers to be masters at print design. It's awesome. I literally just posted the files module yesterday. There is 10 videos diving into how to create those print files right from the start in Adobe Illustrator, Adobe InDesign, how you use Photoshop to complement those, how to export your files for print, and how to double check them before you send them off to your printer. All that jazz. The files module, module three, was just posted yesterday. Head to the link in the description of this podcast to sign up and check out Print Design Mastery. All right? Now, today, my guest is Joe Ellen and Tony from the team at Ultra Creative. Like I said before, Ultra Creative, we've had team members from there on the show a few times before, and this is another gem of a conversation. The project deep dive we are doing here is into collectible cereal boxes for the Netflix series Stranger Things. Yes, you heard that correctly. Collector cereal boxes. There is three in the set. They are interactive. There's some illustration, a whole bunch of design, and all kinds of incredible creativity that went into these boxes. Also, the Ultra Creative team is amazing. They're just incredible people. They tell these great stories. They put together these incredible projects out in the world. Gosh, don't sleep on these guys. You got to follow them. You got to check them out. Links to all that stuff is down in the description. We get into the deep dive, of course, but also a lot of fun conversation about print and design and memories and all that kind of jazz. So let's get right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guests, Joe Ellen and Tony from Ultra Creative. Hit the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. 
Joe Ellen and Tony, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you guys? We're good. Great. We're trying not to talk over each other too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the challenge. We'll get into a flow. Don't worry. We'll get into a groove here. I can even be like, Joe Ellen, this one's for you. Tony, kick us off or, you know, that kind of sort of thing. We'll see. Perfect. We'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. No sweat. Um, so another amazing interview coming up here with the Ultra Creative team. I think I've connected with three um, of your colleagues previously and talked about different print projects that you guys have put out. And y'all are at it again, putting this piece together that we're going to dive into today. And I'm excited to hear the backstory of this and the creation of it and, uh, and all that kind of jazz. Great. Before we get there, let's start with some of the some of the tough stuff, um, <laughs> and we'll kick it to what I honestly believe is the toughest question here. Not only because it's first, because it involves you talking about yourself, um, but tell us about yourselves, and we'll start with Joellen. Well, I'm Joellen Martinson Davis. I'm an associate creative director here at Ultra Creative. Um, I'm a creative person at my core, and I always have been. I like working collaboratively, and I also really love autonomous work. Um, my background is actually in hand-drawn animation and filmmaking video. It's what I went first cool. to school for. Um, besides that stuff, I'm a spouse, and I'm a parent to young girls. And I have a studio in my home that I've always kept. I like making personal artwork and kind of doing whatever I want. So just having the ability to do that is something that's important to me. Um, I also love being outside in nature. Kind of my yeah. jam. So kind of like a creative and artist, like right to the core from, you know, home creations to experimenting to the filmmaking stuff and now sort of in your role as associate creative director. Yep. Awesome. Tony, you're up. Yeah. So I'm also an associate creative director here at Ultra Creative. Uh, I've been here about 20 years. I, I think I was hired six months after Joellen started. Wow. Uh, and I am one of the very few non-artists here at the company. We have about 35 people here, and I would yeah. say 25 or more uh, of our uh, crew are all artists in some respect. Uh, so I started out as a copywriter. I actually, okay. uh, go back further than that, I started out as an actor and a director. My, my uh, degree is a Bachelor of Fine Arts in theater, mm -hmm. uh, and I was doing a ton of voiceover work, and I kept running into all of these horribly written voiceover commercials, I said, oh, I could, I could do better than that. And yeah. so I had a cousin who was going to ad school here in Minneapolis. Uh, I joined him. I did uh, two years at a school here in town called Ringco. Uh, mm -hmm. Had no experience with advertising up until that point outside of being uh, talent and loved it. And um, happened to graduate just in time for the dot-com bus to uh, lay off uh, every third uh, creative in the Twin Cities. Wow. And um, landed here at Ultra Creative, and I've been here ever since. So I started as a copywriter and worked my way up uh, to an associate creative director. Awesome. Copywriting is like the my biggest weakness in terms of making things creative and fun and with personality through it. I've always find it so much easier to just like, to just talk and do the thing like right. over a video and this kind of thing, but yeah. actually writing down the ideas so that your ideal customer and reader is going to get your message, get the vibe, get the feeling you're trying to put into it, get the emotion and attitude and all that sort of stuff. That is tough. Well, and what's the two things that are funny about that is one, at this point, it is the smallest part of my job. 
<laughs> Actually, I, I still write a lot of copy, but yeah. um, where I really focus most of my time is on uh, creative ideation. So one of the things that we do at Ultra Creative is we specialize in doing uh, a lot of food packaging. Mm -hmm. um, and I specialize in doing food packaging for kids. And so cool. one of my main jobs is coming up with all the games on the back of kids' cereal boxes, uh, Lucky Charms and Cocoa Puffs and all of those things. Uh, and, and then, you know, doing that in collaboration with all of the, the amazing artists that we have here. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll spend... 90% of my time coming up with ideas for games, pitch those to our clients, and then they'll choose one, and then I'll spend 10% of my time writing the copy and the instructions yeah. and the other parts of that for the games. So you make the games. I don't, I, well, I, I think up the games. We make the games. And then, yeah, and then lots of amazing people. Yeah, and Joellen and I have actually been partners in so much of the stuff that we do here yeah. for the past 20 years creating you know, creating games, creating content, creating campaigns. It's kind of a catch-all of everything that we do. So I've got the associated creative game team here. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so great. Um, so I want to kick this back into time a little bit now. And I'm going to ask what your earliest memory of print or packaging is. Maybe something from your childhood, from your teens. Um, Tony, I want to start with you. Sure. So we, Joellen and I had to look this up. We're trying to figure it out. Um, my first was this set of Legos that I had uh, when I was a kid. And it was uh, the Lego set 733, which was the number we kept trying to figure out. Because yeah. there's a ton of these sets that look almost identical. But I had mm -hmm. such a vivid memory of this set and, and all of the blue and red that it had in here. And especially this semi-truck, because I built this semi-truck that is on the front of this Lego case. Um, and every time I think about, like, growing up as a kid, it's this package of Legos that I think about. You know, I probably got it for Christmas when I was six or seven years old. And mm -hmm. I probably, it came with this book. Like, you know, now Legos are, you build, it's a Star Wars Lego and you build this one thing. But this was like this 50 page booklet and you could build dozens or hundreds of things. And I probably built everything in that book yeah. over and over again. And so it's just, you know, it is such a vivid memory for me, partially because I brought all of that stuff to life. You know, it was brought to life on that package, but then yeah. I brought it to life. So it's just one of those things that just sticks with me. I don't, I don't even know that it's great package design in any way but it is great design because it has such a, a visceral emotional experience for me yeah 100 percent. there's the like lego creator sets now which are like the most you could build is three like it's three right. in one yeah. set but I, I vaguely remember some of the older sets that were just like this book of here's our ideas here's what right. you can build yeah and i'm i'm gonna stretch this one but it's almost like print design in a way that you see something on screen or on paper and you bring it to life in this tactile 3D form, right? Right. Yep. Well, it's, it's a lot of what Tony and I do, but particularly what Tony does, I think, in this. It's right. Like you have all these pieces, yeah. right? So maybe you get a brief, you understand the concept of what's supposed to happen, you have yep. ideas, and then you're putting all these pieces together in different ways to make something. And so when he has to come up with, 24 different headlines or we've got to come up with 12 different games or whatever it yeah. is. It's sort of taking the same 
content pieces, right? And building something different from it. So I, Lego is such a great way to explore that kind of creativity and it's a good choice for your that, thing that's inspiring. That's that's really well, like you thought that out last night. No, I didn't. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> I, the thing that I think about it is, this is what makes me so good at my job. And I think why I got hired, because I was never one thing. I was never a copywriter, you know. I I was always somehow a visual creative, right? Like yeah. I used to do mosaics out of broken tile pieces, and I loved doing Legos. And I was never good at <laughs> anything, but I tried everything. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that you know that well-rounded sort of. Uh, creative attitude towards life, I think is what makes me so good because every day of my job is something completely different and it's always trying to solve problems at the drop of a hat, right? And so, you know, this is where it started, looking at all those Lego pieces and seeing all of the things that could come to life. And then my, I have, I have twin kids Mm -hmm. um, and they're both 16 and one of them is obsessed with Legos, like they watch the Lego movie too, probably once a week, and have Legos all over their room. So I love watching that legacy carry on for my kids. That's cool. That is a good one. Yeah, it is basically problem solving, puzzle, puzzle right. building, right? All the stuff. Yeah. Um, Joellen, earliest memory of printer packaging? Anything from your childhood or teens stand out for you? Um. So I'm sure there are things that were, came earlier than this, but this is something that I really remember. And um, when I found it for this, uh, to send you a photo of it, it just like sparked so many memories. Um, so I always loved art. I always loved making. My parents um, both have artistic sides. My dad was a graphic designer as I was growing up. My mom had a minor in art. Um, my parents gifted me when I was like in second grade a set of Prismacolored color pencils. And they came yeah. in this black case with this like radial set of the pencils sort of pointing in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that is really designy about it, besides it being like a professional art supply, is that the case had this like glossy cover that you, you pulled up and over and it sort of made a stand to open so that your um, pencils were all sort of right before you like a fancy artist. Um, mm-hmm. And I love the way it looked, I love the way it felt, I love the way it smelled. Um, and for me at that point, I think in my life, it was also like my parents were very encouraging of me, but then they gave me this essentially professional tool. Like these weren't Crayola crayons, right? This was like no. something that my dad would use or something that you know other artists would use. Yeah. Um, and it was mine and I took really good care of it. Um, I had it for years. I don't have it anymore, but um, I have new ones now that come in a tin case which isn't quite the same yeah missing a little (laughs) bit right yeah anyways it just like evokes a ton of memories of being at the kitchen table um it really made an impact on me i think that package and kind of its functionality as well as Mm -hmm. its form if that makes sense yeah but would you say that like not only those things you listed but like the items that you were creating you had that right beside you the whole time yes. that you were creating those things. So there's that connection to that memory of the pencil crayon box and the way that that worked. But you're also creating things with those tools that just sort of further strengthen those memories. Yeah. And I mean, I think for me, always creation or creating things was always a very warm feeling. Like I said, it was very encouraged in our house. You know, there were times growing up where like we would all be sitting around drawing together. Like when we did dyed Easter eggs or did 
car pumpkin carving or any holiday thing. It was just like yeah. a big event. Like everyone did the most thing they could do, or like the coolest egg and all that stuff. So um, I think that it has sort of this family piece to it for me. It also has this sort of like pride in doing my work and this um, mm -hmm. elevation to like being trusted with real supplies. <laughs> the, the big kid supplies. Yeah, well, and I tried, I like Tony was talking about with um, his kids and Lego. I try to do that with my own girls and make sure that like, you know, oh, you really want to do this? Okay, well, let's get a real set of this or, you know, let's yeah. get a real this. And not that the other things are kid stuff necessarily because you can have fun with them, but mm -hmm. I think it elevates you. Yeah, just fostering that creativity. Yeah. Love it. So with, I want to move this into sort of like the print project category um, and ask you guys if you have had any sort of more recent packaging or print stuff that you've come across that you really enjoyed or has really surprised you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go first. So for, for a packaging design mind, that's such a hard uh, question only because like, my wife hates going to the grocery store with me because every <laughs> every trip down the aisle, it's like, oh, hang on, hang on. Oh, I got to look at yeah. this. I got to look at this. I got to look at this. Yeah. Um, so I, but I, I, I stumbled across, uh, Wilco just released uh, a whole bunch of uh, stuff in the for the anniversary of uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, uh, that album. Uh, and one of them was this uh, Wilco's, um, and we see tons. I mean, everybody sends us every parody serial that's ever made out there. We, we see all the time. Yeah. But I had never seen anything quite like this before. And I, yeah. I, I just loved it so much. And um, the, the, the illustration style. And then I love what they did with the back panel doing this. Just, you know, one visual that's so deep with all of the illustration that's in there and all of the little Easter eggs that you can kind of run through and find. So this was one that kind of really tickled my fancy just in the last week when I saw it. How many boxes did you buy? I haven't <laughs> yet. And I think, I don't know. I, I haven't looked to see if it's online. I, I know that it's, um, it's for sale at some market in Chicago. Uh, and that might be the only place that you can get it. There's also a, um, uh, a beer. What was the beer called? Um, Jesus don't cry. Uh, lager. <laughs> and and then uh, some uh, gummy fruit snacks. I, I'm trying. I am trying to break your heart. Uh, gummy fruit snacks. That's awesome. For you know, when a band or a celebrity gets to that level, where they can just be creatively free, play off of the art that they've made, and put these consumer collector products out there. Like, what a fun spot to be. Well, and so often when we see this happen, it ends up being sort of um, either kind of a really cheesy knockoff of an existing serial or, you know, kind of a cash grab for a property that's out there. And I just thought that this one was so clever and nicely done and it's such a, a collectible piece. Yeah, 100%. It definitely would be. Imagine if you were able to get that autographed at a show or something like that. Oh, yeah. This autographed box of cereal that you'd never want to eat. Fantastic. <laughs> my my dad actually used my so we do a ton of work for General Mills. My dad actually worked for General Mills my whole time growing up as an engineer, um, okay. and worked on a ton of um, like he was one of the people who launched fruit roll ups. 
when wow. it first ever launched. He was on the team that designed the plant that made fruit roll-ups for the first time ever. And so growing up, we had all of these, like when the Twins won the World Series, we're out of Minneapolis, when the Twins won the World Series and we're on the box of Wheaties, um, he got a box and then the guys in the shop made Lucite covers for all these cereal boxes. So growing up, like our decorations in our house were all of these Lucite covered <laughs> cereal boxes. So I could picture that that would be the thing if I ever got a Wilco assigned Wilco cereal box. Yeah. I'd get its Lucite cover and sit on the fireplace mantle. That's so cool collecting unique things like that. Yeah. Joellen, what about uh, what about you? Recently have you come across any cool printer packaging that really surprised you? Yeah, actually it was like um, I'm going to say maybe it was like the beginning of June I saw this Moolas protein um, at Fresh Time which is a grocery store one of the kinds of grocery stores here, mm-hmm. um, it just totally exuded joy at shelf. And it actually yeah. prompted a blog post that I wrote um, and got some help with my colleagues um, from to, to sort of create that. Uh, yeah. But this, if um, like if you, I have a screenshot here and like of the aisle and mm-hmm. everything else is so serious. It's like silver or white. Like it's so pure. The protein's so pure. And then there's this like, dark black stuff that's like so strong it's gonna make you so bulky but then yeah. this moolus protein is a box um it's not a tub or like a you know like a jar it's bright like aqua with purple and pink or like bright yellow with bright blue mm-hmm. um the, the lid does lift off and then there's um packets inside of the powder which i thought was an interesting way to get there probably a lot better for packing because you can get boxes a lot tighter than you can get jars yeah. um probably weighs less um the lift on the box felt really nice like when i lifted it off there it was just like it was they found you know what we would say is the white space in the category and just really went hard for it and it is so eye-catching when you're looking at that shelf like that's the thing that's different that's what's going to get your eye the design probably isn't for everybody admittedly if you're like want to go really strong in your protein maybe you don't want this like pastel fun box but it just did something different than anything else and it really caught my eye and prompted thinking about how do we bring joy to the aisle through packaging that's a great one and that almost seems to be like a trend that i'm seeing in consumer packaged good stuff and you guys are the experts in this so please jump in and, and tell me if i'm crazy or not but a lot of companies using fluorescent Pantones, bright pastel colors, you know, really just getting out of the black and the silvers and the yellows, just like, boom, big, like bold colors that you're not used to seeing in that, in a particular category on the store shelf. Yeah, we were just, we were just talking about this. There was an article uh, that we were reading that there's sort of a, a backlash, you know, we went to such simple and austere, clean design, uh, which really stood out on shelf for a long time until Mm -hmm. every brand went and did the exact same thing. And now we're starting to see that uh, take a turn where the brands that are really starting to do uh, interesting, colorful, playful stuff is what's really starting to uh, break through on shelf. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen like, we're like, um, in that blog post we talk about, we didn't do these packages, but we talk about the Goodles package, which is like a, um, mac and cheese that has more protein in it and they're okay. like electric orange color and like bright cyan with like a kind of funky roller skating roller skate logo that says goodles um, <laughs> and there's some other ones in there too and I think it's also happening one of the things that we talked about um, 
recently with some colleagues is that we're seeing it, especially like in the organic or vegan spaces where previously to be in that category, people would have wanted to sort of have that craft paper background, like feel very organic. I'm putting air quotes around that, like (laughs) where you can sort of feel this, like it's from the earth. But now Mm -hmm. I think that Gen Z, millennials, I mean, people shopping today just expect that as greens fees that you maybe you are already organic you don't have to look that way you can be bright red you can be bright blue you can have crazy fonts really fun colors and sort of get a brand identity in that way and it's not wrapped up in what the ingredients are because that's already inherent in where you are in the aisle if that makes Mm -hmm. sense right yeah honestly packaging needs to be fun yeah like the like on the I don't mean to get you know, political or whatever the term is, but it just the world at times recently feels very heavy. So having fun consumer packaged goods products sort of just brings that little bit of joy and some monotonous task of just picking up some groceries on the way home. So I think there's there's an element of that to it as well and why you're seeing a lot of these brands go with these bright colors and they're friendly and happy and approachable. Well, and this is one of the things we do uh, on a weekly basis. We have a, we have a, all of our creative staff. We have a get together every Wednesday now that we've all been working from home, um, and part of that is sharing. Everybody just kind of shares out what kind of unique and interesting and fun packaging they've seen uh, throughout that. the week. So it's always such a great inspiration, and we're seeing more and more of this again. You know, just colorful and, and fun and playful, even outside of the categories that you know, where we really thrive in that kid space, we're starting to see it move into a lot of, a lot of categories where you wouldn't normally think, oh, they're going to have fun with it. And even like medicine and medical things. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. So I want to move into a little bit of story time now. Um, <clears throat> and just the last question before I do a deep dive into this project that we're going to talk about here. Um, and let me preface this question. The reason I ask this is not to try to try and pull out a terrible experience or cause you any stress or anxiety. It's just for sharing stories with designers who are wanting to create print so that they can see some of the potential pitfalls or, or mistakes that can sometimes be made and try and avoid them in the future. So with that said, is there any projects that you guys have been a part of that did not turn out as you'd hoped, didn't go well, went sideways somehow. Can you share one of those stories with us? Yeah, we can. Sure. We, we I, got lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> we do. I do. I will say because we work in consumer packaged goods and we work with such large companies that we mm-hmm. do have a lot of backstops in place to generally yeah. prevent things from like failing right. or like yeah, not going, sure. not going very well. So that's sort of, a caveat to some of this, but Tony, do you want to talk about your Sure. So um, one of the cool parts of our job is that we get to basically every blockbuster movie that you have seen in the last 20 years, yeah. we probably had some kind of an involvement with it. So okay. we get to work with um, Disney and Lucas and Marvel and Nickelodeon and all of these other so cool. brands to bring that stuff to life. Yeah. Um, and one of the coolest things we've ever got to do is when they re- when they relaunched the Star Wars franchise, okay. uh, we we were heavily involved in that. Joellen and I actually um, got to spend some time uh, out in California with mm-hmm. Lucas and 
we ended up actually making some TV spots. Um, and <laughs> so we, cool. we created some whole well-rounded campaigns for all this stuff. One of the biggest parts of that was a promotion that we did with Gogurt, where they had glow-in-the-dark um, lightsabers on the, on the Gogurt tubes. And then um, we did a whole bunch of uh, unique front panels for mm -hmm. each of the different flavors of Gogurt. So there was all of these collectible Gogurt boxes. And if anybody knows Gogurt, it's always green. Green is the color of Gogurt. That's what it looks like on the front of that box. Yeah. And we said, no, we got to do this really cool collectible black Starscape packaging. And we fought really, really hard for this. And it's funny because this, in, in so many ways, this is to me is a really successful package. I think the package is gorgeous. It got a whole bunch of attention on like design mm -hmm. blogs and stuff and people loved it. It didn't sell. And General Mills came back to us and they're like, this was kind of a failure in terms of sales. Like this, we, we designed serial packages for this. This was, like I said, it was a whole integrated campaign. Everything else did great. The Gogurt did not sell. And so what they figured out afterwards was so much of this Gogurt ends up in the, uh, not the frozen section, but the refrigerated section yeah. down in a lower well. Yeah. Um, and people just wouldn't see it because it was dark and it was black packaging in a mm -hmm. dark well and people just were not seeing that in a sea of, you know, all of these other kids yogurt options. Oh. Uh, and so it just killed us. This, this thing that we fought so hard to, to make happen and yeah. just didn't see it, didn't see, um, where this pitfall was going to lie. Uh, and then from that, that ended up sort of. Um, we went through a whole process of, all right, what are the standards for what is a Gogurt package, right? Like, yep. how do we, how do we do promotions on Gogurt? How do we ensure that we get the credit for having uh, these equity characters, these partnerships that we're doing, but we don't lose the Gogurtness of Gogurt? And so, if, when you go to the grocery store now, when you look at the Gogurt, there is a system in place for how to really make that Gogurt pop off shelf definitely be identifiable as Gogurt, but also really celebrate whatever the partnership is that we're doing. Wow. Cause like, you're right. Looking at this package, like it looks brilliant. Right. It looks great. Yeah. yeah. But just due to the actual placement of things yeah. or the placement of the product, I should say in the store, it just didn't find that the visual yeah. that really it needed. Yeah. Yeah, we like we we build shelf sets and things like that, or we'll have aisle sets and stuff. But even in that case, you yeah. know, it, those are sort of like best case scenario views. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where when you really go to the grocery store shelf, or when you really go to the uh, dairy aisle, there might be packages missing. There might be stuff turned on its side. Like it's a lot more haphazard. It's a lot oh, more hundred percent chaos, yeah. right? Than what we see, and so we wouldn't even necessarily have seen that in the in the process that we have. Um, yeah. But now, like black is sort of blacklisted yeah, here, so like we can't <laughs> we can't do black packages. Yeah. Like they'll just say, "Oh, go Gert," nope, and we'll be like, nope. "Oh, oh, oh, oh. yeah." <laughs> oh dang, um, Joellen, do you have a separate story, or is that the one that's the team story? We can share that story. Which one? That the go Gert story. Yeah. 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 That could, oh yeah, that could be our story. Yeah. yeah I mean, Joellen awesome. jo jo and I worked on that whole campaign together. Got it. All good. Yeah, it's a good one. So it's sort of a a good lesson in no matter how brilliant the packaging design is, there's also extra steps that just 
are almost unpredictable in some sense, yeah. right? Yeah. So you, yeah. You, you make the best decision you can and you go forward with a brave foot. So the deep dive. I want to do a deep dive into this um, box, and I'm going to hold off saying even the name as long as I can here, just to really <laughs> draw this out. Um, I saw this. You guys shared this on Instagram, I believe it was. And as soon as I saw it, I had to reach out to the team and say, please, I want to know the story behind this. I want to know how it came to be, not only from a... And what really caught my eye is not only the the name brands and the, the 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 show that it's about and those sort of things, but the interactiveness of the packaging themselves with with what look to be punch outs and build these little things that can sit on your table and sit on your desk and there, there's so much to it. So this deep dive project is the General Mills Stranger Things serial collaboration that you guys worked on. So if, if we can dive into that and talk about um, how the project came to be, what was that first meeting like? Um, you know, was everybody excited to, to tackle something <laughs> like this? Um, and then maybe sort of the, the ideation process and, and the illustration process and bringing this to life before you handed it off to General Mills to actually put ink on paper and look after that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so this one is a really interesting because... Um, it's all kind of tied up with the pandemic and everything. This actually started in uh, 2019. Uh, General Mills wow. came to us. They, they did not have a partnership in place, uh, but they had been watching Stranger Things and had really been taking off. And one of the things they noticed is that a lot of General Mills products were showing up on the show, these retro <laughs> 80s packages. And they said, we want to do a partnership with Netflix, with Netflix and Stranger Things. Yeah. Netflix is really specific about who they partner with. They don't partner with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so we want to go in with our best hand that we can possibly do. So they asked us to sort of concept, if free reign, if we, had, if we could do anything with a Stranger Things serial partnership, what would we do? So Joellen and I and Todd... Demeline, who you've talked to before yep. as well, yep. the three of us uh, sat down and white sheeted just dozens of ideas. We had a whole, you know, probably three or four pages worth of uh, ideas of what we could do. Things like um, we even had like uh, towel giveaways, like we were going to do these weird towels, but they all had these weird Easter eggs to them. I think we wanted to create a cereal called Hopper. We were gonna we were gonna create a brand new cereal that was called Hopper um, uh, that had a bunny a sheriff bunny character, but not do anything with Stranger Things. So it would just be this weird thing that showed up on shelf. And so we brought some ideas to General Mills, and they really liked them. And they said, "Okay, let's let's get ready to just have a conversation with Netflix." Okay. Uh, but first, they were like, "We really wanna we really wanna show off." So they actually had us design uh, some T-shirts that were a mashup of some of the General Mills characters and some of the um, Stranger Things characters. So we sent all that stuff out to L LA, and then we got on the phone with the Stranger Things people, and this was all in prep for season four. And um, everybody got super excited. And there was a lot of things that they were like, yeah, I love this idea, and I love this idea. Oh, and then we could do this, and then we could do this. Um, and they were like, okay, let us, let us you know, loop back on this, and we'll get back to you. 
And then about a month later, the pandemic hit. <sighs> or a couple months later, whatever it was, yeah. the pandemic hit. And we didn't hear anything. And then they postponed season four, and we didn't hear anything. And we all went home, and we started working from home, and we didn't hear anything. And then in the meantime, we ended up doing this crazy project with Marvel, um, which was Loki Charms. Okay. Um, which was a regular Lucky Charms box on one side and then um, an illustrated Loki as Lucky the Leprechaun titled Loki Charms on the other side. And it was one of the first times that General Mills has done this where they sold an exclusive product online kind of as this fan art, fan service kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And it sold out in less than three minutes. <laughs> and so now everybody got really excited about these kind of ideas, and then that started to percolate on General Mills's side. Let's bring this Netflix idea back, and what could we do if we turn this into a, a Netflix exclusive? Still thinking about season four, um, and then season four got pushed again, and so then it became, um, let's do something for Stranger Things Day, which was this big celebration that Netflix was planning yeah. um, on the day that Will Byers went missing for in the first episode of the show um and so that got our so then we got retasked and, and we todd and joellen and i sort of went back to the drawing board um and none of the stuff that we originally had thought up there was a couple of ideas we were able to pick out of there but then it was, we kind of really circled back on some new ideas and then yeah i'll turn it over to joellen so yeah. i'm not <laughs> <all the> <laughs> so just before right. you start over there i had yeah. a couple of questions actually come up from that yeah um, when your team puts out th this Loki charms, I'm sure you, like, you knew the day that it was launching, you knew the day it was like going for sale online. And so at eight o'clock you get into the office, go, whoo, today's the day it goes on sale. We'll see. And at eight Oh five, they send you an email and say like, Kate hey, sold out. Like, how do um, you, how do you first up find out that it did so well? And second, What's your feeling? Like, what does that feel like when it sells out like that, when it's so popular? I, I think we anticipated that this was going to happen. I mean, we kind of knew that this was going to be huge. Yeah. Um, we didn't hear it from General Mills for a couple of days, actually, but it was all over, like, every fan blog of, in the Marvel Universe. Oh, my God, this is coming. This is happening. <laughs> there are uh, several um, serial Instagram accounts <laughs> um, that are like connect like they General Mills other brands send them pre-release stuff because these guys have so many followers and people who are so excited about cereal and cereal packaging uh, so we obviously follow all of these um, you know blogs and, and yeah. Instagram accounts they were all over it and uh, <laughs> the system actually crashed uh, wow. there was so much traffic it crashed the system and so we were well aware within the first hour of it going on sale that it was you know selling out and then we heard later from general mills how successful it was and how fast it actually sold out how it all how they did it wow so then as a team what does that feel like when you you finally get the confirmation of how yes. well that you created it was pretty exciting. There was a lot of emails back and forth like, hey, check out what Serial Time just said. Okay, check out this blog over here. Okay, check out what these guys are saying. Oh, by the way, it just ended up on, you know, the headline in USA Today. And oh, here it is over on CNN. And, um, so for about a week there, there was a whole ton of stuff flying around the office. So when, you, when you're passing around email like that, like does it, do you, how do I word this one? You know, do you, 
at the end of the day, it's cereal. So do you guys think like when you're seeing stuff like that happen and the, and the hype about it in Instagram accounts about cereal and things like that, do you sort of like look at it sometimes and go, I can't believe we get to create just like fun yeah. stuff for cereal. Yes. Like this is so fun. We, we have this, we have this saying all of the time. It's like, I can't believe this is our life. I can't believe we're talking <laughs> about, well, and because we take this really seriously, like, you know, one, we're super fans of mm-hmm. the stuff. Like, one of the things we get to do is we get to work on a lot of the monster cereals, uh, Count Chocula and Frankenberry and Blueberry. Um, and every time we get that assignment again, year after year, it's like, oh, my God. I loved this as a kid growing up. I can't believe that we now get to play in this universe. So, yeah, there's a lot of pinch me moments. I can't believe this is my life. That's cool. And and I think it loops back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's just we're bringing joy to somebody, right? So like if yes. someone's a super fan, right? And we can talk more about that with the Stranger Things stuff too, but like really bringing that to life in a way that mm-hmm. honors their fandom and honors the like love that they have for this yeah. equity, but yeah. also for everyday items, right? Like making sure that whatever's happening on the back of Honey Nut Cheerios or whatever's going on, that it's interesting and engaging and it's bringing that piece of joy or bringing that moment or bringing comfort. A lot of the mm-hmm. stuff brings comfort to people. Um, so being a part of that in everybody's daily life means something beyond, I think, just sort of the collectability or the, I don't know, the yeah. fame of like yeah. being a serial designer. Well, and it's so funny because we, we always think about it as like we have two, we have two jobs, right? Like mm-hmm. we have to sell cereal and we have, a, we have a brand that we have to be holding to where, you know, mm-hmm. they have, they have brand th- messages that they want to get across and they have a brand identity that they want to stay true to Mm -hmm. but we also uh, oftentimes are like look at the fans of all of this stuff as our second boss um and so we really especially you know one when we're working with all these historic brands that have been around forever lucky charms and cheerios things that are a part of your childhood and so many people's childhoods and then two when we're working with marvel and Disney and all of these things that people are so passionate about uh, and that we're passionate about. And so we really work hard to make sure that we're being honest to um, what fans are going to want in both of those worlds within the confines of the brands that we're working with. Mm -hmm. Um, We never, ever want to do anything where it's just, it feels like a cash grab. Like it just feels like, Hey, this is a popular thing of the moment. Let's just honor the brand. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that we always have a saying here is, um, we don't do crosswords and we don't do mazes, which is totally not true. Cause we do sometimes do those <laughs> I was things. I about to say, I love mazes. <laughs> right. But, but they're the easy thing, right? Yes. It's so easy to just say, Oh, let's just put a maze on the back of here. Oh, let's just put a, a word find on the back of this box. And uh, everything we do, we try and find the truth of what we're working on mm-hmm. and what's unique about it and how we can do something different and fun and engaging that goes beyond what people have already seen and what they expect. Yeah. So Joellen, when you guys get back into the second planning meeting, the, the Loki charms just rocket off the shelf. And now there's a lot of like, okay, stranger things day go. What, what's the next step for your team in sort of ideation of creating and coming up with these concepts? Well, this was, I think in April of 2021, we got um, this assignment again. And so we knew that they were going to be limited edition e-commerce boxes. Um, 
I don't remember if there were three. I think there were going to be three I of them. I think there was three at that point, yeah. There were going to be three of them. And then um, General Mills really wanted to have something really extra special about it. And we also knew that the fans of the show, like, you couldn't just put out um, just a cereal box. Like, there needed to be something more there. Oh, yeah. Because these fans were so... Um, rabid and really intense and um in, in like a, a fantastic way yeah for um, sure and so we really wanted to honor that um so we dove back into some of our ideas that we had from the first round and then came up with a few more um general mills was willing this is a healthy budget um they were willing to sort of spend extra to do something really interesting so um, we had some ideas for like doing some cutouts on the box that like the box would actually be pre-cut um and have sort of like an interior piece. Um, there was an idea that we would sort of rock back into the 80s, um, like cartoons. So like what if Stranger Things became an 80s cartoon, like Punky Brewster was, there was a D&D cartoon at the uh, time. Mr. T. Mr. T, like we looked at all of that stuff as inspiration. Um, Tony and I are both Gen Xers, so this is like straight into our childhood time. Um, so I think we had a lot of familiarity with what was yeah. happening at the time. <laughs> and then, um, and then we also talked about sort of this in-world promotion. What we mean by in-world is that um, that there would be a promotion on the box that was something that would be relevant to the characters in the show, mm-hmm. um, or that could have existed to the characters in the show. So, you know, for example, on the Lucky Charms box, you can get this Wheeler van that's actually from Hawking's lab. Um, it's a lab van that Eleven flips with her mind in season one, um, and. Oh, so one of the things I should back up. So each of the boxes that we had, so we had Lucky Charms, um, Cheerios, and Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and each of those was supposed to represent the first three seasons. Okay. And so this was going to launch on November 6th of 2021, which was um, Stranger Things Day is November 26th, which is when, or 6th, which is when Will Byers goes missing. Sort of like May the 4th. They wanted to have, like, you know, Stranger Things Day. Got it. Um, So... I think we set up, we, that it got put on hold a couple times and then like we actually yep. sent them um, a white sheet of ideas, I think, in June. And then sort of by the end of June and the beginning of July, we sent a deck that had these three ideas, this sort of cutout idea, a cutout meaning like the, the box was cut out in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, this go back to the 80s Stranger Things cartoon show and then it was this in-world promo. And they really liked the idea of the in-world promo. Um, and so um, that was my design that I had started. And so it sort of got put into my port. And then Tony and I, a lot of times, work as a team on this kind of stuff and really um, needed to work with each other in the space because there was a lot of details going into it. Um, so we started with the Lucky Charms box. Um, the box has a fifth panel, which means that it opens like a book on the back. Yeah. Um, and originally, we wanted to do a pop-up. That was our idea, was yeah. to have an actual, like, pop-up. So, like, we popped it up, cool. we opened it, like, the Hawking's van popped out, and then Eleven and um, Mike on the bike would pop out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were told at the very last minute when we were presenting that we couldn't do the pop-up. Like, we had the whole package designed, the first round package designed with a pop-up, and, like, days before we presented, they said, oh, yeah, that's technically not possible right now. Oh, no. Yes, yeah, totally, like, a, a bummer. Yeah. Um, so then um, we, we had to revisit that. And so um, we talked about doing like just like 
Really cool. Art on the inside. It was going to be like, a, not a poster, but just like you open the flap and it would be really cool art. And for people who haven't seen the packages, the exterior of the package isn't overtly Stranger Things. Right. Like there's no Stranger Things branding on the front. There's no logo of Stranger Things. There's no Stranger Things branding on the back. It looks like, it generally like the boxes are relatively normal with like a promotion on the front. So they're on Lucky Charms, there's a Wheeler van. You can get free toy van offer, it says. On Cinnamon Toast Crunch, there's $5 free for Palace Arcade tokens. And then there's a um, win a $100 um, shopping spree at Star Court Mall on the Cheerios package. And the idea really was that these were packages that in the early 80s, you could walk into a grocery store in Hawkins mm -hmm. and find these on the shelf. But what would happen if the upside down started to creep into... <laughs> that grocery store and sort of infect these packages, right? But yeah. not, we didn't want to put vines all over it. We didn't want to get that overt with it. We wanted it to be real subtle and full of Easter eggs. So I've only watched, just for context, I've only watched the first season. I want to watch the rest, but I just haven't had the time to get back into it yet. And from my limited viewing of Stranger Things, I can pick out things that are, like you said, sort of subtle things. So, you know, walking past it on the shelf, um, you know, in the aisle, you, you almost wouldn't really notice it. Right. But if you looked at it for just that second longer, your mind would go, wait a second, there's something else, there's something different here. Well, and that was the great benefit that we had is we knew these were never going to be on shelf. So oftentimes yeah. one of the, one of the, one of the fine, fine lines we have to walk is when a package like Lucky Charms is on shelf, people have to be able to find it. They have yeah. to be able to find yeah. their lucky charms, and so we can't we can't change a design so over the top. And these packages probably would have been walking a line to try and get these onto a shelf, but because this was only <laughs> yes. going to be e-commerce, we had a lot more leeway to be able to do a lot more interesting things. And we were able to also remove some of the things that are like legally required, yeah. so um, nice. some of the nutrition information and things like that, and we could clean it up. But to your point, like on Lucky, um, so it looks like a package that was. So we did a lot of work we, researching we really what did. package would have been on shelf at that time in that year of Stranger Things. So like wow. this is what the this is what the package would have looked like, would have had this style lucky, would have had this kind of style bowl. Um, and we create recreated Lucky. So I had to redraw him from like General sent us old package files, but they're just like digital photos. Yeah. You know, yeah. they wouldn't work for, for packaging nowadays. So Recreated Lucky, but this Lucky has, instead of a clover, he's got like a Demogorgon bloom on yeah. his hat. He's holding a D20, um, which is the dice that they use in D&D. &D. He's got a Hawkins High School um, shirt on underneath his green blazer. Yeah. And then his spoon, which is normally pointing up, is pointing to a bunch of Christmas lights, which are the Christmas lights that um, Will uses to communicate um, yeah. from the upside down. Then there's the Lucky Charms Bowl, there's the Wheeler Van, and then from the bottom of the Lucky Charms Bowl are some sort of upside down like tendrils and vines kind of growing onto the bowl. Yeah. And then on each of the packages, the G in general is also flipped upside down um, up in the corner. And so it's kind of like we tried to find, I mean, on some of these packages, we had to list out for Netflix and General Mills the yeah. Easter eggs that are hidden within the package. And some of them have like 26 of them or something. It's like, it's, throughout the whole package. Yeah. Um, 
we just kept pi- I mean we just kept piling on and piling on because one if I, we also kept saying are they really letting us do this like <laughs> somebody's gonna somebody's gonna stop this at mm-hmm. some point like we flipped the Cheerios logo upside down we put Russian on um, you know the Cheerios box and when Joellen was talking about doing all the research to figure out what packages would have been on shelf at that like we went so far as to say, okay, this is what would have been on shelf in the early 80s for season one to this is what would have been on shelf a couple of years later, um, you know, and trying to even match the, the fonts and the typefaces that would have been used in promotions at yes. that time. And then the other thing that I think Joella did so brilliantly, especially on that Lucky Charms box, uh, on the back of it, the illustration of this kid who is playing with the Wheeler van. <laughs> And, and the, all, all of these illustrations are so period appropriate and yes. so perfect for the 80s in that sort of, you know, muted style and, and not as detailed. And, and um, it just all fits the period so well. Mm-hmm. Well, that was something that was really like one of the things I love about Stranger Things is that nostalgia piece. And it's one of the things that I was actually sort of asked of us in the brief is to sort of elicit that nostalgia so I pulled tons of scrap um, from stuff online that was like all kinds of different promotions. Um, I pulled, um, so then the Lucky Charms one, the offer is a van and it comes in kind of like what looks like a matchbox car, um, like, what do you call it? Like a, a blister, a, blister a little pack. blister pack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I went and purchased now, you know, like in the aisle. Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars and brought them home and I photographed them from different angles. That's a full illustration um, of the of the van, but like, and then I looked at like dirt bike manuals from the eighties. I was looking at like um, car racetrack stuff, like just to get the vibe right, right? Yes. Like I wanted yeah. to make sure that it delivered hard. And then we came up with the idea of calling it Wheeler, which is Mike's last name, Mike and Nancy's <laughs> last name. And so it just kind of like like a little kiss on yeah. what, what that is. So and then, now, were, um, were oh, people oh. actually able to get the actual van? Like, did they actually do some die-cast vans? <laughs> no, unfortunately, early on, there was some talk about that. Yeah. Because um, we came up with this idea of doing these promotions, right? That was kind of where the hook lied. That, uh, but we set them up as uh, expired promotions. Again, our, the idea was that these were packages from the 80s that yeah. had just been unearthed. Um, found in a back room somewhere. Uh, and so all of the uh, promotions had expiration dates on them that yep. were in the 80s so that they were all void. <laughs> um, but That's they, so they did for a little while, they did think about, all right, is there a way that we could get this stuff made? Uh, and yeah. timelines just weren't going to work out. Yeah. Uh, but because that was that was happening, simultaneous, you know, packaging production timelines are so far out there like whenever we're doing something for a holiday packaging yeah um, we start that in like april or or even earlier the year before so we had to get these packages to print before they were going to know for sure if they were going to be able to fulfill and so we kept it vague and then we did the redemption as a 1-800 number yeah and um they said Let's have this be a viable 1-800 number, and if we can make this work, that we can do redemption, great. And if we can't do the redemption, then what else could we do with this 1-800 number? And so mm-hmm. Joellen and I pitched a few other ideas, uh, <laughs> one of which was that you would call in 
and um, you'd get like a, a recording um, and then something horrible is happening in the background of you like calling Hawkins Labs because all of these were somehow tied to Hawkins Labs yeah. like that was who yeah. was the the ultimate um, person offering the promotion yeah and so then he would like hear in the background this like Demogorgon attack or something else would be going on uh, and we didn't they didn't follow up with us on what they ended up doing with the 1-800 number until it launched. And they kind of took that idea just a slightly different direction. They ended up doing a um, choose your own adventure. Okay. So you called in. We actually wrote a bunch of scripts too, didn't we, early. And then you called in uh, to that 1-800 number and you it was kind of like what we had originally pitched was this idea where you, you got like an operator and then something horribly went wrong and you got a dial tone and then it came up with this uh, here's what's happening now. Choose which way you want to go. Yeah, uh, and you were trying to stop this sort of apocalypse from so happening I, through a phone tree. If I phone in now, is it as far as we as far as we can tell, it's not active anymore. Ah, oh, dang! That's a super bummer. Yeah, hundred percent. I almost I was like, yeah. if it goes through it right now, I'm phoning now. We're just gonna right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's deep. My kids and I did it. Uh, we probably tried for like. 45 minutes and we never we never got to a, a solution like where we where we save the world where we survive right you just keep dying yeah. you get attacked by a demogorgon or um and but we we went through it for quite a long time uh and didn't exhaust all of the channels yeah so on these boxes i see that there's sort of that fifth panel that you were talking about on all of them Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a photo here of the, what I believe is the Lucky Charms box, right? Where it's got the actual yep. like pop out characters and things like that. What yep. did the other two have inside this fifth panel? We have our, the boxes here with us. Um, so I think you could see, so uh, we'll do Cinnamon Toast Crunch next because that's the second season. Yeah. 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 That has um, Will inside with the Tunnel of Terror coin flip game. Okay, so that's this big illustration here. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. so the idea here was that you could get uh, free tokens to the uh, arcade in yeah. Hawkins. And so then we created a, a Tunnel of Terror video game. Uh, and then that was kind of what you were playing on the inside of the box. Yeah, well, that's the like, the, um, the, the, where the kids are kind of gathered around the video game cabinet, mm-hmm. Tunnel of Terror. Um, and then that map that's there, that's actually the map that Will makes in, in the game, in the show. And then um, we just sort of pretended that it was like a video game that you could play when right. you were there. Which was, again, you haven't seen season two, but season, a lot of season two takes place in these tunnels below the city of Hawkins. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. and, and so it was very much tied to what was happening in the season two uh, storyline. Got it. And then season three um, is this big illustration of Eleven and a Mind Flayer inside the Star Court Mall. And then you're going to seek and find the Russian, the Russian soldier at lo- icons, so, yeah. the little logos. Yeah. And so they're hidden kind of all over in that illustration. <laughs> so and cool. One of my favorite parts of this then is so, uh, you know, sort of this Russian invasion uh, is of the Starcourt Mall is a big part of season three. It yeah. doesn't spoil anything for you. But so we really wanted to set up this back panel as if it was written by non-English speakers. 
And so the copy here is families, friends, teenagers come together to shop, dine, to shop, hang out, dine, and enjoy. Featuring America's favorite place to cool down, Scoops Ahoy Ice Cream Shop. Try the USS Butterscotch. It is out of this world, says Steve Harrington. One of the finest shopping facilities in America and beyond. Uh, and then when you get into the fine print down here, it gets really weird and bizarre as you go. <laughs> so you guys design these things. You pass them off. They, they, General Mills goes ahead and prints them. They get put up online. They go for sale on uh, Stranger Things Day. What happens? They, it was kind of a slow burn, a little bit. It was interesting because part of it was there was so much going on for Stranger Things Day. So yeah. there was uh, an in-person pop-up in L.A. and in New York. And the cereal boxes were for sale along with just tons of other stuff. Yeah. And then they were for sale online on their website uh, with tons of other stuff, too. Uh, and so... And the over, price point was... Well, it was like $19 a box. It was $19.86 Oh, that's right, $19.86. That's right, $19.86 <laughs> a box. So if you wanted it and you wanted all three, I mean, it's like $70 yeah. Yeah. Once, it, once you worked it out. And so... Um, We'll just have, we'll just say that like we maybe would have handled that differently as to how like it's it for, would it's have really gone. A collector's right. thing. It's for the collectors, yes. right? So um, somebody who's like, oh, that would be kind of novelty and cool is going to look at the price and go like, oh, we're not for that. But a right. real true fan who's a collector of stuff is not even going to think twice about. Uh, yeah, and so what was cool though is so those people who th that was the other part of it though is what you saw online. Didn't you? You couldn't really dive into all the Easter eggs that were all over the box and the pictures. And there was a lot of really great pictures because they were for sale exclusively on the Netflix website. Mm -hmm. uh, again, with T-shirts and jackets and mugs and all this other stuff. Um, and so the first thing we started to see on Instagram, especially, was people who had gone to the live pop-up and bought the packages and then dug in and started to see all the Easter eggs and tons of comments about how deep these packages were. And then as people who bought them started to get them delivered to their house, mm -hmm. then we really started to see this upswell of, you know, positive messaging. You know, there's all that like unboxing videos yeah. and all right. that kind exactly. of stuff that starts to happen and sort yeah. of get that ball rolling, right? Yeah. So it definitely sold out, uh, but it took a little bit longer. And there was a lot more. Like when, when they did the Loki packages, I, I don't remember how many there were, but it was pretty limited supply of those. And there was a lot more of these. Um, so they did eventually sell out. They're actually still on the Netflix website. Um, if you, Again, that's another place to go and look at a bunch of photography of it. Yeah. But they are all sold out on the Netflix website. And do you know how so there was Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. So there was a ton of love for it. It just was this sort of slow build of people really needing to discover what was going on with these packages and how deep they were before once they got it in their hands. Yeah. Do you know how many of the boxes they produced? I don't. Initially, they were, yeah. So, I mean, the, the strategy changed a little bit, not from our side of things, but sort of, we were initially told that they were going to make um, 1,986 of yeah. them. <laughs> Perfect. Of each of the, of yeah. each of the SKUs or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I don't think, I think it was probably more than that. I'm not sure. Um, and then that's what ended up, then the price ended up being 1986. that. Yeah. And it's, I think like Loki Charms was, Eight dollars or nine dollars or something. Oh it was, no! 
I don't remember. Loki Charms was pretty expensive, too. Because Loki Charms, like, arrived in um, this, this like, cardboard briefcase that was based on something out of the, the show Loki. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember what the price point was on that. See, you know, that's one of the reasons I love print and packaging is creating these experiences like this. Yeah. For, for like, fans, and if they're fans of Loki and it arrives in, like, this a briefcase a cardboard box that kind of resembles a briefcase that was in the show or something. There's, it just enhances the experience of unboxing something you were already excited to get right. and receive. Right. So I just love print and packaging for this, creating this nostalgia because people are going to remember these forever. They'll be passed on through generations. Like th this has true staying power as collector's pieces. Yeah. Well, and you know, it always, it's so funny because Joel and I have been doing this for a long time now. So we talk about, every once in a while we get a request for, for retro packaging. And, you know, people will talk about, oh, we want some retro packaging from the early 2000s or from the 90s. And we're like, yeah, we created that original packaging. But I'll go, I, I, so many times I've been in like an antique store or, or something and yeah. I'll see packaging that we created, um, you know, on the shelf selling for 30 bucks because yeah. it's something or you see it on ebay all you know with mm -hmm. cool packaging goes out and sells on ebay um the other thing i always love is when we're watching tv and because we're so intimately involved with this stuff mm -hmm. you know they are rarely ever show like the front panel of cereal packaging uh, on a shelf on a tv show but they'll show a side panel and i'll be like hey <laughs> That's our Reese's Puffs package sitting on Seinfeld's <laughs> shelf up there, you know, oh, whatever the shelf it. is. Yeah, you start to make uh, those connections. Yeah. So two other questions on this. One more for personal curiosity and then the other like into sort of the nitty gritty print details. Um, first up is, did you had you guys already seen all of this um, Stranger Things up to the point um, before you started designing on this? Or did the project sort of come to you and then you're like, well, better watch the series. Tony was entirely caught up. Yeah. I was not at that time. Um, but I had like a pretty good hunger for like, I mean, I, to do what, to do the illustrations of the characters, um, I was pulling like screenshots, tons and tons of screenshots, tons and tons of key moments, mm -hmm. um, understood like the plot points, um, had to go in and like, have all different kinds of points of view. What does the inside of that Star Corp model like, like, look like? What does that mind filler look like? What is? Yeah. And so all of those illustrations, I mean, this is sort of a side point, I guess, but it was, were built from various references, not just yeah. like, this is the pose. It's sort of yeah. like, yeah. right, there's a bunch of pictures of mics. So Tony helped lead me through some of that. But I knew enough stuff to be like tag teaming on, yeah. oh, let's put this in there. Oh, let's put this in yeah. there. Have you have you caught up since? Have you watched the whole? I haven't seen the new, the new, the season? new season yet. Okay, we my wife and I binged the new season in about two days. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, the other fun the other fun part of this was uh, one we didn't have a style guide for this, did we? Oh yeah. So the other yeah. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. And then I'll I was going to say there were like no changes. Oh yeah, it was crazy. That almost never oh, happens, yeah. right? So super crazy. I was. I was, um, so I did the illustration work. I was, I felt very intimidated to take it on because there was so much amazing fan art out there. Yeah. Um, it was, 
and, and like really amazing creators, really well-known creators. And here I was had having to deliver something to like super fans. Yeah. So it was, I had a lot of pressure that I put on myself and wanted to do a great job. Um, but the changes that we got were more so related to like the front of pack and like some small legal changes and stuff, oh. but there were, there was no comments about any of the characters from stranger things. Um, I had to change the boy on the back. Who's like flipping the van. I had to change his hair color from what it was. And then like add some like, like kind of curls into his hair was a request, but it was, I- I've never had a project. Yeah. I mean, both Jenner Mills and, um, Netflix were such amazing partners on this and really let us run with uh, a bunch of just crazy ideas. The other thing I was going to go back and say was it was it was fun because I got to spend about a week of just watching Stranger Things uh, at work because <laughs> you know Joel and I were like All I'm right, doing the research. Like, I need well, and it was like I need I need a number for this yeah. thing, and I was like, okay, let me go watch a bunch of episodes and see if I can find a significant. Num- like we were just trying yeah, to fill yeah. all of these uh, voids that we had and it was again it was just research to try to figure out okay what's the cleverest easter egg way we can put a serial number on this uh, coupon or what's the phone number going to be or, you know how can yeah. we just cram even more easter eggs into it <laughs> so so touching on the proofing of this you mentioned that the customer didn't re- like had very little feedback that's general mills but did you need to send this out for approval and review to both Netflix and General Mills, or did they look oh, at yeah. that? <clears throat> yeah, so that's what I meant. Like there was, there were very few changes. Um, so what would happen is uh, we would, uh, I would concept the stuff, like yeah. concept it by like it's live artwork, yeah, working artwork. And so like for the Palace Arcade logo, for example, I had to recreate that from initially. I had to recreate it from stuff I found online. Like just how, what does it look like that, you know, how do, how can I make this into something that I can move around yeah. in a graphic space? And then we would send it to Netflix and they actually then would send us the re- the real art for it. So like, you know, like the Hawking's High um, t-shirt is like a real, you know, piece from Netflix. Like the Palace Arcade logo was a real piece that they sent us. The Starcourt Mall, I initially traced, um, and then like expanded and sort of made it into a thing. And then it became that, that actual logo of the Starcourt Mall. They sent it to us, that kind of stuff. But there was no, we had no style guide. Um, well, there was colors. There was kind of like colors for yeah. sort of the Stranger Things stuff, like the interior pieces. I used some of their like color palettes for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And that's what I'm talking about when there's no changes. Like Netflix yeah. saw it and they're like, we love it all. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's... <laughs> This worked much in that way. It worked much like a normal project would. Where we, we did the initial design, we sent it off to General Mills, um, and they might have had some small tweaks for us. That comes back to us. We do some small tweaks, and then they send it off to the partner. In this case, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think when it went to Netflix, it really was. Oh, here's just some small details from a legal standpoint that we have to fix. And then it, it was kind of like, okay, we're ready to go to print. And again. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? Wait, okay. <laughs> and, and, uh, all right. It doesn't happen like that. No, it never happens. I was going to say, that like doesn't that. happen. No. And I was, um, I think because when you're depicting, you know, like the, the kids on the back or like the promo pieces, right? Like they're not real people. Yeah. They're not supposed to be recognizable. But when you're depicting like 11 or you're depicting the kids on the bike or you're depicting this real 
location, yeah. I felt like I had to, well, you have to capture it. You have to right. get it right. And then yeah. you also have to, like, do right by that actor actress. You also have to do right by, like, all the props that they have, the costumes they're wearing. Because the fans are that serious about the show mm-hmm. that if Eleven had the wrong shirt on in that scene, then they'd be like, well, this isn't right. 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 Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah well, we right. always, I, I, again, I mean, I, I don't beat this over the head, but we always want to make sure that anything that we put out feels like it's coming from a fan. You know, it's from a fan to a fan. Yeah. And, and especially with something like this. Yeah. Um, so is your team, does your team do the production design of this as well? Or do you, um, sort of like preparing it for print when we're talking like layers and colors and pantones and all that jazz, or do you just sort of build it most of the way and then somebody on their team sort of adds the finishing touches? How does that usually work? Well, it's kind of like a, I guess it's kind of like a bifurcated process, at least when we're working with large CPG companies. Um, so we, like I had die lines to work with. Um, to set things up in. And then one of our production artists, Todd Schneider, who's been at Ultra longer than we have. Yes, he has. Um, he actually did the production work on this cool. project, I believe. And he, um, you know, made sure that all the thing, all the colors were right. Like, everything's checked out. Um, we've got everything in place that we need to. Because there's actual cereal in there, there is a nutrition panel that has to still be a nutrition panel. Um, and then it goes to... Um, General Mills' production partners, and they go through their process and sort of bring it to life. So we don't get to proof these. It's like a standard, well, it's not standard, but like a standard cereal package. Yeah. Um, one thing that did happen is that they were going to use what we call booger glue to like <laughs> right. stick the fifth panel back. Yeah. And we knew that that might cause or could cause tearing yeah. when you opened it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they actually used magnetic closures on these, and we were just like... Oh. Like so excited. so excited! I was wondering about that because when you were showing me and opening it, when you closed it, I almost heard that like that little yeah. like yeah. magnet click yeah. sound. Wow! So yeah. that that's usually done by hand. Like that's a pretty um, that's not a very automated operation putting the hidden magnets in there. Yeah, I don't know how those go in, but again, it, you know, it was a limited run, so it was something where yeah. they were able to spend a little more money at a higher price point to really make these things. That's cool. Cool. Man, that's awesome. I'm so glad that we were able to connect and talk about the backstory of this. I got a couple of last questions for you guys. Um, what advice would you give to a designer who is looking at getting into print and print design and creating? Maybe it's consumer packaged goods. Maybe it's just printing a book or anything. Where? What advice would you give them on where to start with that? Well, <laughs> I'm I... To you. Okay. <laughs> um, I thought about this a little bit. I think there's like nothing beats learning on the job. Mm-hmm. But if there's not a, I'll say a job job or like a quote unquote real job yeah. to be a part of, I think um, having interv- informational interviews with other creatives is really useful. I think, um, or just like sitting down with other creatives and talking through ideas or kind of how, what your process is, understanding what their process is, is, is really a great spot mm-hmm. to be in. Um, and then I think also like, Having continual curiosity and continued creative pursuits, regardless of outcome, mm-hmm. I think is such a great way to be in the world. Um, make things to make them. Learn to learn. Um, be curious to just find out how does this work. How how can I do this? Look into old processes or figure out a new way in. Um, I think there's so many ways to be engaged 
um, in graphic design or in the design world, even if you're not literally in the design world. Yep. And I, you know, I'm not a designer, um, but I work with tons of designers. I you know, I've been, I've watched folks come and, and go, and um, I think the two things that I've, the people who are really successful they have one is they they have found their voice as a designer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so weird because we're working with um, we have to we have to sort of recreate a, a brand's identity so often, and you know, it, it doesn't feel like you have that opportunity to sort of have your own voice in a lot of CPG package design, but you really mm-hmm. do. And it's also what gets you, it's what gets your foot in the door. Like everyone here that we work with, um, they can kind of do a little bit of everything, but they all, they all have their own design voice. And they, yeah. they have, yeah. it's not even their specialty. It's just sort of who they are. And so finding what that is for you, I think is really important and being able to lead to that, especially as you're putting a portfolio together mm-hmm. and being able to speak to that. And then the other thing is just constantly, like Joel was talking about, constantly pursuing artistic pursuits um, outside of whatever your, you know, career is. Because we have, you know, Todd, who you've worked with before, uh, started his career as a comic book artist yeah. um, and still is constantly doing character creation kind of things we have people here who are sign makers and woodworkers and have all of these amazing other um creative pursuits that keeps their minds fresh yeah uh and and keeps them in a creative space when you know you're designing your hundredth cheerios package might sort of uh get you get you down just and not even that it gets you down it just it's you know it's not the most creative outlet sometimes um even though it is can be a creative challenge to find a new way in on something like that, but having those other creative outlets in your life uh, are really important as well. Yeah, great, great pieces of advice. Um, the last question I wanted to wrap up here with is: Where can people find more about uh, find out more about Ultra Creative and the work you guys are putting out and some of the special things you have going on? Yeah. So uh, the best place to start is our website, which is uh, simply Ultra creative.com and we we do our best to sort of refresh that as much as we can you can find all of our stranger things packaging is one of the featured uh, packages on there right now so there's a ton of photography and the website has both some really deep dives into some projects that we've worked on in the last year or two and then just a ton of other art Uh, and then we also have our instagram and that's ultra underscore creative on instagram and we Try to do a pretty good job of putting things out um, a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. Lots of different kinds of packages. We work with lots of different brands, big and small. Um, and so there's lots of different things to find there um, to wet your design whistle. Yeah, and the other thing that we um, have really worked really hard at is um, sort of getting the ultra uh, voice and personality out there. Uh, on social media, so uh, and Joellen's a huge part of that. Um, so we actually put out. Um, I don't know how often do we do we do blogs? Do we have a set schedule for releasing blogs? Blogs right now sort of come as they are, but we've got a couple different pieces that we do on a regular basis. Um, some stuff based in kid kid work, kid yeah. insights, and stuff. Some some stuff based in um, uh, visual trends, mm-hmm. um, different spaces like that. So we're always kind of putting stuff out there because we're always 
staying curious. Yeah, so like Joellen and I put together a thing on Instagram uh, once a month called Kid Intelligence. Actually, not just Joellen and I. There's other people behind it. But um, so you know, that's sort of a, a something interesting or a kid trend or something that just sparked our curiosity mm-hmm. uh, in that month, and then we kind of do a, a deeper dive into that and um, you know kind of put it out in the world. It's oftentimes for our clients to just know what we're thinking about, but. Um, there's a ton of stuff out there if you want to kind of dig into the ultraverse. No ultra creative podcast yet. No ultra creative podcast. <laughs> I, I tell you, I tell you what, we are very fortunate that we are really busy. So yeah. we're a small studio. We're um, we're less than forty people, mm-hmm. uh, but the output that we put out is uh, rivals you know some of the biggest agencies around. It's kind of incredible how much work we end up putting out on a yearly basis mm-hmm. um, with, you know, and the cool thing is we work with some of the biggest companies in the world and some of the biggest entertainment properties in the world. Yeah. But we also work with a lot of small startups yeah. and we, um, we do a lot of um, uh, brand creation uh, for folks. So there's a lot of people who uh, have worked at General Mills and then go off and start their own companies and have enjoyed working with us. So they come back and then let us help them launch. That's cool their new brands. Um, and so we don't have time for podcasts. We're kind of, we're kind of constantly hopping. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Joellen, Tony, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show today and to share the story behind this stranger things, serial packaging with us. Great visuals, great work on this. Um, it, it's just an incredible piece of like collector merchandise out there that is right in my sweet spot of print. So I absolutely love it. Um, So thank you again for being my guest today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, this was great. All right, that is the end of today's episode. A little bit of a longer episode than usual, but we had to fit all that goodness in. Again, if you are a graphic designer, illustrator, creative, whatever it is, and you are looking to get into this world of print and packaging design, Do not sleep on Print Design Mastery. That is the program that we have put together to teach graphic designers to be experts in print, masters in print, if I don't say so myself. There is a direct link down in the description of this podcast for you to go check that out. Sign up, join us, start learning. And I just posted the files module yesterday so you can get right in to that file work and learning how to create this stuff on screen and how to get it to translate to paper. All that jazz. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.